Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 21. Yeah, if you're visiting with us uh, this morning, uh, welcome to Christ Church. My name is Mark. I have the privilege of being one of the ministers here. And uh, as Elijah explained a little bit earlier, we are in this journey of discovery through the Gospels. And we're in week eight. What I'd like to do is just summarize and catch you up as we begin this new year together, catch you up to where we've been in this series. What we looked at is the genealogy. What was the promise found in the authors, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, concerning Jesus? What are each book written about, and how does it all combine together? And what does the genealogy teach us? It teaches us several things. That uh, Jesus could be traced back to King David, and that he could be traced back to Adam. And that would bring the Jewish mindset together in who Jesus was, is the promise of everything fulfilled in Genesis 3.15. And then we looked at his cousin, John, and he was the last Old Testament prophet and how it was promised that he would be the one that would pave the way and announce the coming of the Messiah. Then we looked at the promise made to Mary and the promise made to Joseph, the star that led the wise men and the angel that announced to the shepherds. And we brought that all together as the advent uh, drew to conclusion that God kept his promise by sending one who would reestablish Israel as the kingdom of God and save the world. And that brings us to today. But it's one week ago, we met here on Christmas morning and had a gathering and we worshiped either Saturday night or Sunday morning, we worshiped the coming of Jesus. And it reminded me of a lot of the routines that we have at holidays. I don't know how your family does it, but when Heather and I started dating and I went to the first Christmas with her family, I was a little bit overwhelmed at how they did Christmas. And I, the entire time I was thinking, I need to set them straight. You see, they put all the presents in front of everyone. They would divide them out. Here's Mark's pile and Heather's pile and her mom's pile and grandma and cousins. And they would all get together on the count of three. They tore into them in this crescendo. And there was paper. And then when it was all said and done, everyone would explain what they received. And I was overwhelmed. I'm an introvert. I don't enjoy all that attention uh, drawn. And I was just overwhelmed. In fact, I remember the first year I didn't open a present. I was just amazed. Then we went to my family, who does it right? And we went to my family, and we opened every present individually. And there was this expectation. Both worked, whether it was the crescendo of tearing into everything all at once or the one at a time and make it stretch for five hours. It all worked because there was excitement and there was anticipation, and then it was over. Now, my mom always had us leave the Christmas decorations up until New Year's Day which was a terrible idea because that's when football's played and you should not have to tear down a tree while there's football on. But I love my wife for a thousand reasons. And one of the reasons I love Heather is it can be 10 minutes after Christmas and she'll look at me and she'll go, let's take the tree down. I love that girl. And we package it up and we put our house back together and we move on with our lives. And the reason I I ask you to think about what happens on Christmas day and how it all comes apart is we're entering into the story now, the discovery of Jesus, where All the bells and whistles are over. There's no angels. There's no star. There's now just the, let's just call it the now what? Now what? Now what do we do? Uh, See, in our family, I love the the fact that our, our boys have picked up on some of our habits that I got from my family, and I can always see the boys separate their their gifts into two piles. You know what those two piles are, right? 
these are the ones I want, and these are the ones I can't tell mom yet. I don't know that I want it. And so you could just see this pile of stuff that we're going to return soon and other stuff that they take right to their rooms and put away to protect it's theirs. We're at that moment in the story of Jesus now that he's here and we've celebrated and the angels are gone and the shepherds have gone back to work and Mary and Joseph have this child and oh my goodness, aren't babies inconvenient? I mean, I hope that's not mean, but isn't it true? Babies are incredibly inconvenient. When they want something, they want it when? Now. Can you reason with the child to say you don't need it now? No, when a kid's crying, a baby's crying and squealing, you're trying to figure out what's wrong and how do we stop the incessant noise? And yet when they're quiet and they're asleep and we're rocking them, there's nothing more beautiful. But now Mary and Joseph have a baby in their house. Now what? All the poetry's gone and all the symbolism and all the beauty's gone and now they have this child that they need to raise. And that's where we are in the story. A story about how God came to earth to reestablish his kingdom and then we have to ask ourselves the question, now what? You see, when we look at the whole story, the the important thing for us to remember is this. We can grow weary after the celebration. We can be really tired and say, yeah, it was fun and it was good, but now what? Now, you know, Monday's coming and, or Tuesday's coming and we have to go back to work and family's all returned home and the house is put back into the shape it was before Thanksgiving. And, and then I'm not trying to bum you out, but the truth is every year, do you know why depression kicks so strongly in people in January or in February? It's because all the excitement's gone, all the family's gone, and now we go back to the norm. And we have to ask ourselves the question, now what? So let me give you the punchline before I tell you the joke. The text we're going to look at today teaches me this simple truth. The anticipation of the gift is not as critical as the implementation of it. Well, let me restate that more clearly. The anticipation of the Christ is not as critical as the implementation of the Christ. And this is where we are in the gospel story, Luke chapter 2, verse 21. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, the Jewish rite of passage for a baby on the eighth day. Verse 22, when the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. It was required in Leviticus 12 that the firstborn child would be given to the Lord, a sacrifice would be offered to receive him back, and they would take the child home. And this is what's taking place. It's the then what? The child's born and everyone's gone home. And this young couple has this child. How do they live with its reality now? Verse 24. To offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. What Luke is doing here, he's recording for us this moment of awareness that he's showing us how poor Joseph and Mary were. Because the law required that for the firstborn son, a pure, innocent lamb, a perfect lamb, should be brought to the priest and offered as a sacrifice to receive their son back. Because the first belongs to the Lord. And they couldn't afford this perfect lamb. They didn't have herds. They didn't have sheep. They had nothing. They were a poor couple. So the minimum you could bring was two, two doves, two birds that would be offered as a sacrifice. And so they did the best they could. It shows us, Luke is showing us, that when God brought his son into the world, he brought him into a poor, young, uneducated family. And he trusted that even in that circumstance, which we would write off as insufficient, that he could do his work. And so they brought these two birds into the place of worship. It would, it would hearken 
to a passage in Isaiah where it says a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. That there would be this small start, this brand new start from David's family. And it would not come from the main trunk, but it would come in a different way. But it would be connected to it and it would do a powerful work. And all of this is playing out in the temple. You see, in place of offering the lamb, Joseph and Mary could only bring two birds. This meager attempt at meeting the law. Because they were too poor, God provided a different way for them. It reminds me, if you think about it, there's another scene found in Genesis chapter 22 on Mount Moriah when Abraham takes Isaac to the top. Do you remember the question Isaac asked his father? Where's the lamb we're to sacrifice? Do you remember what Abraham said to Isaac? God will provide the lamb. And on the day that Joseph and Mary walked into the temple to offer their firstborn son to God, they couldn't bring the lamb So once again, he provided it. It was the child they were holding. And the prophecies had told them this was the case. But when they go into the temple, they meet two people, two significant people that I want you and I to sit in the chairs of, to to stand in the footsteps of these two people. Their names are Simeon and Anna. And I'd like to tell you, in a very forgotten part of the story of Jesus, I'd like to tell you about these two people. Let's talk about Simeon first. Simeon remained expectant, and this is crucial. I did not intend for this message to fall on New Year's Day, but I'm glad it did. Simeon remains expectant. Let's talk about what that means, verses 25 and following. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Messiah. Verse 28. Simeon took him, the baby, in his arms and praised God. Verse 29. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servants in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Now, I don't know specifics because nowhere in the scripture does it depict this except in Luke that Simeon knew in some way that he would see the Messiah the deliverance of Israel, the reestablishment of God's kingdom in Israel, that he would see that before he died. We don't know how he knew that, but he knew that. And we don't know how, when Joseph and Mary brought the baby in, he knew that it was the child, but he knew. You see, Mary got an angel, and Joseph got an angel, and the shepherds got an angel, and the wise men got a star. And Mary, pregnant, walked into the presence of Elizabeth, and the baby in Elizabeth's womb leapt, John left in her womb in the presence. We don't know, and we don't know how he knew he had the child, but he knew. And here's another thing we should point out, that there are sometimes it's an angel, and sometimes it's a dream. Joseph got a dream, and sometimes it's a star, and sometimes it's an explosion of a heavenly chorus. But let me tell you this, when God wants to communicate with you, he may not communicate with you the same way he communicates with someone else, but he'll get his message across. So here... Simeon takes the baby to bless the baby. He takes the sacrifice and he sets it aside and he's going to bless the child and return it back to his parents. And in that moment, he knows what he's holding and he cries out and he says, this is the light of revelation for the world. And he knows what he has. He's moved in his spirit. The consolation, the prophets would call it, the consolation of Israel, 400 years of God's silence and God is speaking again. And he's speaking regularly. And he's speaking through this child. And he holds this child. What a statement of faith. He has waited his entire lifetime. 
and we know that he dies relatively soon. So he's holding a child, believing in the promises that God gave to this child, but he knows he'll never experience them himself. And so I have to ask you the question, can you remain expectant when God remains delayed? Do you and I have enough expectancy in who God is? That one moment of God's faithfulness is enough for your lifetime? Or does God have to put on a song and dance to keep reminding us that he's faithful? You see, because one pure, faithful moment of God is all you and I should need. And we may not experience in our lifetime every one of the promises of God. And we may not see in our physical human lifetime the return of Jesus Christ. But the promise of who he was and the resurrection, the faithfulness of God from the beginning of time displayed through Jesus Christ is all you and I should need. And it was for Simeon. In all of those years, he waited. He waited how? Expectantly. He just didn't sit around thinking, well, he hasn't done anything recently and it's been 400 years. Maybe it was all a myth. Our culture is teaching you and I That if God doesn't do what we want, when we want it, and we talk about babies being impulsive. Yet Simeon was willing to wait his entire lifetime. You see, perseverance is not just simple endurance. Perseverance is living expectantly while enduring. It's anticipating the faithfulness of God. It's seeking it out. In fact, it's saying no to lesser things, so that our minds can be open to greater things. It means turning some things off so that we can turn our expectancy on. It means we're not here to be entertained. We're here to live and wait and seek and see the movement of God. I'm absolutely convinced in my soul, God is moving around me every day and I just miss it. It's not like God's doing nothing. He's building his kingdom. If you listen to the news, nothing good is happening. If you listen to the scriptures, everything is coming back into complete control of God. If you look at everything that was lost in Genesis because of sin, you can see Jesus restored it in the Gospels. Over nature, over illness, over death, over demons. Everything that we gave up in our sin, Jesus came back and restored. He set his kingdom anew. And Simeon waited undistracted. Have you ever noticed in scripture that if you want to do something amazing, you're going to have to wait and wait expectantly for God to move. Jesus gave life through the pain of the garden and death on the cross. Joseph learned about forgiving in the pit and in a prison. David learned how to lead by serving and protecting sheep, spending time alone, quietly, not entertained. Noah built an ark while the ground was dry. Abraham waited a decade as an old man for a son. Paul the apostle wrote some of the most important words we'll ever read while in prison. We have to learn to wait expectantly. So how do I develop this kind of perseverance while waiting? In the now what stage? Jesus came. This is what we've celebrated. Now what? Now what do we do while we await his return? We wait expectantly. Have you ever discovered how aware and sensitive you can be when something good's about to happen? One of the things I most enjoy about Christmas is having little people in the house. You know, that four or five or six-year-old who can't go to sleep and can't sit still and can't wait and goes over and touches presents and goes, I won't open it, just want to touch it. 
We know how to live in anticipation. We know how to live expectantly. And we get excited by that. Have you ever had a negative expectation that made you aware, that allowed you to end the waiting? I remember one time my brother and I were about to go to blows and my dad stepped in. He sent us both to our room. Unfortunately, we had the same bedroom. He had the top bunk. I had the bottom bunk. My dad wasn't always wise. And he sent us to the same room. And I'll never forget the moment Scott said, don't fall asleep tonight. I didn't. Because I was afraid the minute I fell asleep, he's going to jump off the top bunk and punch me right in the face. And he ruined my entire night. He'd forgotten he'd made the promise. I didn't. I lived expectantly. Have you ever had to have a tough conversation? The boss says, I need to see you tomorrow. And you spend all night rehearsing what you're going to say in response to everything possible they could say. Or you have to lay somebody off or have a rough conversation. We know how to live expectantly. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. But Simeon chose by the nature of his life, to spend his moments awaiting the promises of God, even when most of them didn't happen to him, he still waited. In fact, when he held the child in verse 34, it said, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Wow. He's holding this child and he looks at the mother and father and they know, they know that what he's holding is amazing. And he says, this child will draw people to him and this, this child will, will repel people away. And then he looks at the parents and he says, and he will break your heart. Well, thanks. Can I have my kid back? And they give the child back to Mary and Joseph and they knew from the prophecies that Jesus would divide the world between faith and disbelief. And Mary would know the truth of his prophecy on the day they killed Jesus. And there his mother was at the foot of the cross watching her innocent son die for something he did not deserve. Remember Jesus said to John, there's, there's your mother, take her. And John took Mary away from the broken heart of watching her son suffer. And Simeon, in that moment, prophesied again. But then a a woman enters the story. A woman a lot like many of us in this room. Her name is Anna. And let me tell you about Anna. She remained committed. Anna's story is amazing. Let's just read what it says in verses 36 through 38. And there was a prophetess named Anna. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. And then as a widow to the age of 84... She never left the temple, serving day and night with fasting and prayer. At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak to him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Israel. I love this story. I didn't didn't learn this. In fact, I never knew this truth until I was doing my research for this particular sermon. And I found out that the word Anna, her name Anna, is actually the Hellenized or Greek form of the name Hannah. Does that take you back to an Old Testament story? of a woman who couldn't have a child and prayed to God and asked that if I could have a child, God, I would dedicate that son to your service. And she did. His name was Samuel, the great prophet of Israel, the prophet who, who led Saul and David, the, the prophet who served and the prophet who blessed. And isn't it interesting that this woman... Now, my research indicates that most Jewish women would have been betrothed or engaged. We talked about that at Christmas. Sometime between the ages of 14 and 16, most... Prominently. So let's assume 
that Anna was married at 16. She lived seven years with her husband to the age of 23. Her husband dies, and she enters into the temple service, living out the next 60-plus years, waiting and serving while she waited. And then she sees this child come in, and she sees Simeon, and I'm sure Simeon told everyone he worked with that I'm not going to die until I see the Messiah. He's holding this baby, and she comes in, and Luke simply records this woman who had waited 60-plus years while praying and fasting for the deliverance and the reestablishment of Israel, not the political Israel, but God's Israel, his people of belief. She comes in, and she sees this moment, and then I love it. She can't quit talking about it. She's telling everyone that what we've waited for is here. Simeon and Anna both died before Jesus did anything else. And yet they believed. So I ask us this morning, will we endure patiently? Will we wait expectantly? Will we serve consistently if Jesus doesn't come back in our lifetime? If God would go into a 400-year period of silence again, is there enough evidence before us to believe that the fact that he came and Simeon held the promised one, is that enough for our faith? And should we and can we spend each and every moment looking to see what God's doing all around us? For 400 years, God said nothing, and then God spoke a lot in a year. He prophesied through Zechariah and Simeon. He prophesied through Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Anna in the temple, where both spoke about God's faithfulness. You see, the anticipation of the Christ in Advent is important, but it's not nearly as important as the implementation of the gift. So when we open it, we're excited to get it, but do we use it? Do we put it into practice? So the question of the morning is, now what? Now live expectantly. Now, what am I to do that the Advent's come and Jesus came and he's, we wait expectantly for him to return. And not only do we wait for him to return, we live every day looking for the movements of God to remind ourselves of his faithfulness and not only to remind ourselves of his faithfulness, but to live Anna's role, which is to tell others of God's faithfulness. Now you can do that and be obnoxious, right? You can walk around talking about God and Jesus all the time that people will roll their eyes. But there are moments if you pay attention and live expectantly that a movement of God will give you a message to somebody in your world who needs to know God is alive and doing well. And he's changing lives all around us. So now what? Now live expectantly and show people the movements of God when you observe them. See, this is Israel's story being reenacted. This is what Simeon cries out. This is what Anna prophesies about. Because God once walked in the garden with Adam and Eve, and then sin caused a separation. And now the God of the universe is walking with Adam and Eve again. Not not figuratively or symbolically. He's walking on the earth as a baby who becomes a young man, who becomes the Messiah, who dies for the sins of the world and reestablishes that everything we lost in sin, Jesus returned. So the story of Israel, the kingdom of God is being reestablished. The God who once walked on earth walks again. In fact, that God, when he ascended, made a promise. I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. Let us please, for the sake of our own attentiveness, let's quit praying that God would be with us. 
He already is. Through the gift of his Holy Spirit, he lives in each one of us who has confessed faith and received the blood of Jesus Christ and become a part of his kingdom. 1 Peter 1.13 says it clearly. Set your hope fully on the grace that is coming to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I want to read that again. This is the role that Simeon and Anna waited their lifetime for. Set your hope fully on the grace that is coming to you, not in the future, but coming to you every day at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not just that we get excited he came. It's that we live like he's coming again. And in fact, he's never left. This morning, I'd like you to remain seated for just a moment. And what I'd like us to do is I'd like to take this teaching and I'd like to set it in your laps and let you think it through these ways. There's three reflection questions I'd like to pose to you. And I'd like to give us a a few moments of silence upon each reflection question for you to have a conversation with God. Here's the first question. Where are you being called to live with creative perseverance? Where are the moments right now in your life that it's tough to be focused on the kingdom of God because of the demands on your life? Maybe your home, maybe school, maybe work, maybe a relationship you're in that's important to you and you don't know how to break through and take it from just being friends who've known each other forever to being eternal friends that talk about things that are bigger than that. Right now, I'd like you to just sit and think. Ask God to reveal to you an area of your life where you've lost your expectancy for God to be king and then give that to him. As you think about that location, or maybe it's a couple of them, ask yourself what would it mean for me to be creatively or to creatively persevere in this time of waiting? Ask God what He wants you to do in that. Don't just do something to impress Him, but ask Him. In my home, how how am I to live expectantly? He can direct you if you'll be directed. Spend a few moments talking with Him about that. last thought of reflection this morning is what would it take for you to step into that place of commitment to seize that moment what do you need to commit to to quiet your world to silence the entertainment to dedicate a period of time in the best part of your day to focus what is it that you need to do to seize the moment 
to live with creative expectancy and endurance. And ponder that for just a moment before we sing together of the power of God. Power what it would be, what your act of worship will be, as with Simeon and Annas. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.